another episode of Crossover Commerce. This is episode 142 of Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest experts in the Amazon e-commerce space, as well as just the digital entrepreneur space, sharing their insights on the most important aspects of selling online. With that being said, before we got into all the nitty gritty details, this podcast is presented by Ping Pong Payments. What is Ping Pong Payments? No, it's not a table tennis company. It is a company that's helping repatriate your money for a great low cost. If you're selling internationally, if you're selling in different marketplaces worldwide, whether it be on different Amazon marketplaces, whether it be in different, uh, your own direct to consumer store in different countries, or just different marketplaces like Rakuten or Mercado Libre or wherever that might be, you can actually use ping pong payments to save money as well when you get your money back to your local currency. Also, if you're paying suppliers, manufacturers, your VAs in their own local currency, you can save a lot of money, time, and effort by using ping pong payments. Go ahead and sign up today with the link in the show notes below, or you can go in the comment section, ask how you can figure it out, or just mention that Crossover Commerce sent you or Ryan Kramer. Uh, that being said, uh, we, so this, as the podcast grows and uh, this is for a listener out there, you might wonder, how are you able to get so many different kinds of guests that are super fascinating, interesting, um, in different aspects of life? I would like to ask that same question because I was really excited when I got this email. Someone reached out to me on this on his behalf and said, hey, we love the podcast. We want to kind of talk about a little bit different in terms of leveraging automation and personalization strategies without having a huge budget, like an Amazon-like budget, we'll call it. Um, that's what we call this episode, but I'm super fascinated because this this guest today is, has worked for the Department of State in the United States uh, on half of entrepreneurship all uh, with uh, countries like Mexico. He has advised and grown multiple 500 businesses, uh, top 500 businesses, traveling, speaking at large events, and they even consider him one of the original growth hackers in MarTech. Super excited to kind of get him on here. His name is Dan McGraw of McGraw.io. Dan, welcome to Crossover Commerce. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks so much for having me here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I thought I thought the introduction was uh, you, your intro and your bio when you when it's uh, sent over. It's so fascinating. I love to hear the insights in the background of the people. But the things that stood out to me were you call yourself the original growth hacker which I'm all about finding different ways to grow businesses, uh, build uh, entrepreneurship, just build out your business in general. So maybe before we dive into like the deep and nitty gritty of that, who, who's Dan and oh, like what, what makes you tick? And you're down there in Florida, correct? We were talking a little bit before this. What, what, what's kind of that background? And I, I like to say, what's the genesis of Dan, if you will? Yeah, great question, uh, and really appreciate that. You know, um, I definitely I'm not the original growth hacker. I'm just one of <laughs> them. The original? Um, so I didn't I didn't exactly call myself that, but somebody else did. So I thought it was very very uh, fascinating. <laughs> but you know, I've been I've been in the marketing game for over 20 years. So I got my start back in 1998, sending mass emails since before there was even mass email. Um, so I've just been doing it for a really really long time. Um, I didn't really know back then that I was in marketing technology uh, because it was just tech back then. Um, but now if you fast forward, I mean, to 2011, 2012 was when MarTech really became hot. Um, and I'd already been doing it for a really, really long time. So, but, 
Um, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. Uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. Yes, I've had a couple uh, positions at some pretty uh, well-known companies. I was the head of growth at uh, CodeSchool.com. I was head of marketing at Kissmetrics. Um, but I've always just been a hustler, uh, and I've always just wanted to start companies. So even while I was uh, working full-time gigs at other companies, I've always had a side hustle or some business I was starting on the side. So I'm just an entrepreneur by nature. Um, and like you said, I'm, I'm based in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I'm here with my uh, wonderful wife and my three boys. Um, it's a great place to live. I live in downtown. Um, it's not where the mouse is. The mouse is like 45 minutes away. Um, right. But it's a really You're great secluded. place to raise your family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, so yeah, Orlando, Florida, super hot down there. I always make a joke. It, it's cons- It's like you feel sticky all year round. Like it's all. It's always <laughs> hot, right? Uh, but uh, I lo- love Orlando, Florida. Shout out to the people in Florida and the friends of the show in Florida. Uh, but you, you travel all around um, speaking at different events and conferences. So it's interesting. How many how many companies would you say to date that you've you've either built, grown, or even you, you feel like would be yeah uh, like you would consider? I had a hand in this company X Y Z. Yeah, you know, I you know, it's kind of hard to track the number of companies because a company, right? Like, what's the definition of a company, right? Does it have to have revenue? Does it have to be legally found or bound with the state? Like, um, so there's definitely a lot of different things there. I would say I've probably been involved with at least ten of my own companies or partnerships with other people. Um, and honestly, I've been involved with a lot of other business ideas, which never went anywhere, um, which we started, we looked at research, never did anything. And I have multiple business ideas that like I'm sitting on now. I mean, I have four, four other business ideas that we're kind of sitting on waiting for the right time. So, um, it's kind of hard to give you an exact number. Um, but you know, I could definitely say I've been, uh, with at least 10 or I've, I've had at least 10 businesses that, that drove revenue and like were legally licensed with the state and stuff. So you're you're a founder of businesses. You're an ideas person. It sounds like you're you're the conceptor, but also the builder as well. So that being said, what it, what's your favorite part about uh, doing what you do on a day to day basis? Is it is it just the idea portion of it, or just seeing it come to fruition, seeing it become successful? Because all have different roadblocks, uh, maybe specific like things you have to do in order to see it become successfully go through. What's your different part about growing a business or what's your favorite part about growing a business? Yeah, you know, I definitely um, I would have to say like I'm one. I just like building things in general. Um, I'm very lucky that in my career I've had a lot. I've worn a lot of different hats. By no means am I a developer. Um, I'm not that technical, but I understand what developers do very, very well, especially coming from my time at CodeSchool.com. We're one of the pioneers on online education for developers. So I spent my entire job was to get developers to learn more about development. So I definitely am really, really technical. Um, so I like being involved with the, the building of it. So the creation of the brand. I like being involved with the rollout of the marketing. I like building products. Um, so, you know, I think building ultimately is something that I'm really, really passionate about and I get really excited about. Um, so those are probably the biggest parts of the reason why I start companies. That being said, you know, where my entrepreneurship comes from, um, is like when I was a kid, I grew up really, really poor, but I was lucky enough to go to the richest prep school in the city. Um, so I had this dichotomy of getting on the school bus every single day of being extremely poor, lived on welfare, right? Like lived on food stamps. And then I had to go to school with a bunch of millionaires, kids. Um, and seeing that dichotomy was what really caused me to become an entrepreneur because I noticed that a lot of the people that I went to school with, their parents were uh, successful. Either they owned businesses and started businesses or involved with big businesses. But the only way for a poor kid from the ghetto to really make that jump to that level, um, you either have two paths, right? Either you start a business and are successful in business or you do the school route and um, you go to school, get a master's and do all those things. And I'm just not a big person who's a fan of school. 
don't get me wrong, I, I love learning, um, but I, I chose the other path. Let's go start a business. That would be my way to generate uh, money. Um, and it's worked out very, very well. I mean, as you can tell, I probably don't live on welfare. Uh, this is one of my spare bedrooms. Um, say, so that's like, a really nice that you've disguised it very well with a very nice bedroom in there. So for office, <laughs> I would call it. But uh, it is, no, it look, is an you, office and spare bedroom. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so fascinating. You let, let's dive into that a little bit. Your mindset came from, and, and this is what I love seeing what entrepreneurs do is the mindset mentality of what sparks their push and drive to to kind of give it out you can have it of hey i have a great idea or i had this kind of uh upbringing where it wasn't as great and i wanted more and i kind of was exposed to that, that that's a drive uh having better life for your kids your family your yourself so on and so forth so but it all, almost for people like that mentality do you have a sense of what is enough in that regards? Does that make sense? Because you can say like, I want to do more. I want to keep continue to build and grow. And then it maybe sometimes not you yourself, but sometimes people forget to look around and are like, oh, oh man, I really did a good job. I have created what I've wanted. Maybe it's time for me to stop. Or is, do, you, do you feel that sense that you have to kind of look around every once in a while and say like, darn, like I, I, I did a great job, but I want more. Like, d does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Um, you know, I'm living my childhood dream. So like I have enough. Um, so like for me, um, growing up the way that I did compared to the way that I live now, I, you know, I have everything that I need. Um, and I, I'm super, super grateful for everything I have. So um, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to continue to go and try to accomplish more. For me, at the end of the day, it's about constantly getting better. It's about constantly improving. And in, in many cases, when you're getting better and improving, you're still growing or obtaining other things. Um, and in our company now, uh, whether that be Maga.io or UTM.io, um, we're super focused on growth. How can we help more people? Um, and that's really what our mission is about, is how do we find a way to help more companies uh, be successful with their customer data, be successful with their tech stacks, uh, be more successful with their marketing. So, you know, at this point in my life, like I have everything I need. I don't really need more. It's not about um, acquiring. It's about more about how do we um, help more people be effective at what they're trying to accomplish. And naturally, um, growing our company is, is a byproduct of that. And we do want to grow our businesses. But um, I don't think it's because I need more of something per se. Uh, and that's something that we talk about internally a lot is how do we stagger our growth to make sure that we can still have a good life. Um, we don't want to be Amazon. I mean, that's not our goal. Uh, and if anybody knows about Amazon when they first started out, I mean, working 16 hours a day, six days a week, seven days a week, right? That's going to kill you. Um, that's not the model that we're going after. So it's just not it's not just about more for us. Um, it's really about fulfilling the mission to help more of our customers. Well, you brought up a great, great point. Um, people get into entrepreneurship, uh, specifically excelling online or developing online businesses, because they, it used to be this mentality of I'm going to do it as a side hustle, which it still can be. But it's really it's really become this nuance not nuance it's become a full-time job but more right there's there's more things to overcome specifically it's finding the right product or find doing research finding the right product product to stand out in a vast uh ocean if you will a never-ending ocean of product services um ideas that are getting thrown out there on amazon's platform or or online selling those products and services you also have to be optimized and you have to stand out you have to drive marketing you have to build a brand you have to actually now more than ever overcome sourcing logistic nightmares as well as cost nightmares so those barriers that were super low 2015 or so back in when it was super easy to sell online even 2010 
they they keep increasingly get higher and higher. So it takes more effort in to overcome and get over those barriers. How are you helping overcome those kind of boundaries and making that a little bit easier to climb over, automate certain processes, but maybe also um, make it look at the data and then also help you them grow their business in the meantime. Mm. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, our job is to help companies better understand their data to be able to remove barriers from growth, right? So um, understanding where we're going to focus, where we're going to target, how, what kind of segmentation are we going to do? What is going to be even the niche of products that we're really going to focus on so that way we can be successful? Um, so we do try to do our best to look at the data and have the data really inform what our decisions are going to be. Um, so that way we can make the best outcome. And a lot of times that could be like, hey, listen, there's a huge barrier to entry because of uh, logistics that you may have with a product or something like that and trying to better understand the situation. But if we went three degrees to the left, right, um, there's still the same opportunities, but there's less barriers in regards to your logistics. So it's about trying to figure out how to remove those barriers um, by really researching and understanding whatever data we have access to, understanding the analytics uh, to really get rid of any of those barriers. And then when you think about the automation, um, it's really try to figure out how do we make it so that we can accomplish more by doing less. Um, naturally, if we can have something that's automated do the work for us, we always want that to have happen. Um, so um, by getting the ability to automate things and not have to add more bodies to accomplish something, you reduce a barrier as well because labor is cost, right? Automation is much cheaper. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that we, we try to reduce the barriers of entry of anything that we're working on and make things easier. Um, but at the same time, it really comes down to what is the product? What is the positioning? Where are we at um, with that project or product? So what, what's a good example? You said you had a couple different companies you've been involved with. What, what's something that my listener can look at and say, oh, that makes sense. Like, I didn't realize that that could be something that I could automate or it helps our life be a little bit more easier and better and operational. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different examples in regards to how we've automated stuff to make it better. I mean, naturally, one of the big things that we've focused on, and this doesn't apply to the Amazon marketplace or anything like that, but it's really when it comes down to doing lead scoring. Um, lead scoring is a really popular concept that you typically hear in the B2B world, but we also use it in the B2C world uh, a lot. So as an example, somebody visits your website, they visit the pricing page, they get 10 points. Somebody views a product, every time they view a product, they get five points. If they view that product enough time, they or products enough times, of course, they're they're going to get a high enough score and they're then going to trigger or have a tipping point to be able to do something. So those lead scoring models can be built in just about any marketing automation tool. But what they are is a leading indicator to tell us, hey, somebody's interested in buying a product. And when somebody reaches, let's say, 100 points in that lead score, which is all automated, right? What we then do is have our marketing automation service, then add those people to Facebook audiences or LinkedIn audiences or whatever it may be. Um, we're having them added to those audiences. So that way, for the customers that we know are more likely to purchase, we add them to a higher dollar retargeting pool or advertising pool to get them back into the funnel after they leave the site. So lead scoring is really, really commonly used to be able to get those people into those audiences, uh, to be able to make sure that you have the right customers you're paying for them. Because there's a common mistake where I put retargeting on my website and I retarget every single piece of traffic that comes to me. And that's really, really wasteful because now you're, you're spending dollars on people who just came to your site, viewed one page and left. Um, that's not always going to be the most profitable conversion path for you. So if you use that lead scoring to make it so, okay, well, they need to visit four products or they need to be in this category, uh, you can automate getting them into the right um, audiences in advertising. And you can also make sure that you can email uh, them using automation as well. So there's a lot of different tactics that you can deploy there. So what you said, that a lot of people did the wrong thing. Can you 
a lot, a lot of that makes sense to me. So if I'm a, a seller, you want to make sure that it's not just a browsing, like they're not window shopping, right? That's, that's the term we like to use um, in either retail or online. They're not window shopping. Their intent is to either um, engage with your brand, one, to purchase a product or service, uh, or maybe be a repeat customer. So in, essentially you're looking at three potentially, uh, you know, different pillars, if you will. So you would have three different campaigns for one quote unquote view. If you look at that way, like people would look at that view on your website or uh, on your product and they wouldn't know how to distinguish that. How are you, how are you helping people coach them through? Let's be tactful about this instead of throwing a shotgun approach at it and say, they might be a repeat customer or they might be looking to purchase or they might just want to engage with my brand. What, how are you helping people understand that? Yeah, well, the first part you have to get set up is you've got to make sure that you have good analytics and tracking. Um, Google Analytics is not going to cut it when you're really trying to dig down and understand what the customer behavior is and then be able to kind of track them. So you've got to get more reliable analytics. A platform like Amplitude, which is completely free for up to 10 million events per month, is really good. A platform like Mixpanel would be helpful. Even Kissmetrics, one of the companies I used to be at, would be really, really good. And the big difference with these platforms is that, one, they can track the customer and their lifetime. So what happens is, is with Google Analytics, it just tells you somebody viewed a page, maybe told you that somebody purchased, but it doesn't tell you who did that. And it doesn't also track that over a long period of time. Uh, it doesn't give you lifetime value, repeat purchase rate, anything like that. So when you're leveraging a tool like Amplitude and you set that up on your site correctly, one, we know who the person is. So if Dan McGaw came to the website and signed up and for a newsletter, that information is saved and stored with my profile, which allows me to really understand like how are these people interacting with the site. And then when you configure Amplitude, it can of course track every page you went to like like mix or excuse me, like Google Analytics would. But the big difference is, is that if I make a purchase, it will track that, it will attach that to my user record. If I make another purchase, it will also track that. So it can track lifetime value, it can track repeat purchase rate and track a whole bunch more. It's a little bit easier to use than a Google Analytics. But when you have analytics like that, you can really start to understand the behavior of the users on your website and then come up with better automation strategies on how to get them back in. So going back to your, your point about maybe they're a repeat customer, um, if we know that we have a low repeat purchase rate, we can roll out strategies through marketing automation and advertising to help solve that problem and help get people back into the funnel. Um, there's a lot of different strategies there, but if you don't have the analytics to see that, um, and you don't have the ability to really understand why or what, why not are they not coming back? Um, you kind of you're running blind. So it's really really important to get those analytics set up first, um, so that way you make the right decisions uh, on what tactic or strategy you're going to roll out to get them back in the funnel. So you you touch on so many good points, and I, I actually come from SaaS background, right? You there's so many. We our our job, my job was to help Amazon sellers grow and use data in order to. Um, no keyword metrics, no uh, product, uh, potentially for products that would fit into a model uh, where the audience was. But a lot of people, this is the problem I think maybe a lot of entrepreneurs kind of fall into the trap of is there's so many tools that can help you eventually get to the right answer, right? But it might be overwhelming with all these tools and which ones you actually need versus which ones are duplicates or replicas. If I'm an entrepreneur and you're, you, I go to Dan and I say, you or you, I should say, Dan, which ones do I need in order to be like, have my bases covered as an entrepreneur? What does that look like? Do you have like this, this almost like this very easy, this will cover your website, this will cover your email, so on and so forth, or is it a little bit more nuanced than that? 
Yeah, it's definitely way more nuanced than that. You know, at the end of the day, every stack for a company should should have basically at least one thing going for it, which is marketing automation uh, and a way to track your customers, right? So you need a CRM or a marketing automation tool no matter what. And especially in e-commerce, you're more focused on a marketing automation tool, whether that be an active campaign, a Klaviyo, customer.io. I mean, there's, there's 250 of them out there. So that's where it gets really nuanced is that you have to understand like there's certain tools you're going to need. You're going to need analytics. You're going to need marketing automation. Okay, great. We know those. Um, but it's very, very nuanced when you actually have to pick the specific tool. Um, and that's just because you have to choose a tool that's going to work with your stack, right? And if you're uh, selling through a Shopify uh, store compared to selling through a WooCommerce store compared to integrated in with Amazon, um, the, the options are d very, very different for those three different platforms, right? So it does get very, very nuanced. Um, I do cover this a good amount, though. Um, in my book, I wrote a book called Build Cool Shit. Um, uh, which is you beat me to the punch, man. I was going to say, this is, I, I, w I started reading this and you beat me to the punch. But anyways, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so I wrote a book all about this uh, on how to build the modern tech stack. Um, you know, the way that we thought about marketing, the way that we did marketing five years ago and 10 years ago is very, very different than how we're doing it now. Um, so I wrote the book to help people understand that, you know, I know there's 9,000 tools out there. I know it's hard, but if you build your stack in the right way, it's not going to really matter. You can swap tools out, you can bring them in, you can bring them out. Um, but it really comes down to having the right foundation. And I'd love to give your listeners a free opportunity to, to get a copy of my book. Um, one, we have a cool text bot, which is built into our stack, which is a lot of fun to play with. So if you pull out your cell phone, what I'm going to do is I'll give you a, a number you can text and you can get a free copy of my book through that. It will walk you through getting your address and everything. So, but the phone number is going to be 415-915-9011. I'll say that again. It's 415-915-9011. And if you just text the word MARTECH, so M-A-R-T-E-C-H to that, the text bot will collect your address, your name, all your information uh, to be able to help you get uh, a free copy of my book. So, uh, definitely something that will help you kind of get pushed over. Um, but back to the question, I mean, um, at the end of the day, I think the most important tool for an e-commerce business outside of your website and shopping cart is probably going to be your marketing automation tool. Um, and you need to pick that very wisely. Um, I highly recommend looking for a marketing automation tool that does email, on-site pop-ups and things like that, but also does SMS. Um, if it does not do SMS, um, you're really going to miss out because SMS is probably one of the biggest things that helps e-com right now. Um, it's much more reliable than email. Well, and the, this is something to be honest with you that has popped up a lot in the recent conversations with uh, marketing industry experts and then also tool uh, builders. Like I said, I, I come from the SaaS background on uh, Amazon and one of our friends over at Seller Tools, Troy Johnson, who's also in Florida, believe it or not, this must be a, a Florida thing, if you will, uh, touted, he goes, Ryan, what's the most uh, the number that stays with you longer than your social security number. And it's your cell phone number, which I thought was super fascinating. And it's one of the truest forms of communication that one can get to the person because A, we're all walking around with cell phones. B, younger and younger generations are getting cell phones earlier. Um, so you can actually start to build out that legacy that uh, tap into the younger uh, market if you, if you so choose and need to. Um, but also... I'm not sure if this is a thing, and that's why I want to ask you, Dan. Can you target with SMS? Can you see where they're located, it, not just by area code, which would be a very fascinating tool to use, like who from this area code is purchasing my products or using my services, but can you actually see where they are in the world at the time of purchase? Because 
my cell phone might not be area code might not reflect where I'm actually located. Can you can you do that in SMS? Um, not through SMS, to my knowledge. You know, SMS doesn't have any location data that's uh, necessarily with it. I mean, an iMessage would, I think, to my knowledge, but um, I don't think with text message you can actually tell where the person is located. But um, I, I could be wrong in that. Okay. Well, with, with that being said, a lot of people are, are saying it's more trust. More, more, and more people are trusting SMS communications, whether it be brand engagement with it or just marketing in general. Why do you think that's the case? Why, why would somebody sending me a text message that's automated, which in the back of my mind, everyone seems to do that other than email or uh, a social message or anything of that sort. Why, why is text and SMS more trustworthy and having this grip now, uh, having a moment, I should say, or it's going to continue to have moments of uh, strength in marketing. Yeah, you know, you know, I don't know if I would say that um, uh, it's trusted more than another channel, right? I think trust for SMS has definitely grown over the past ten or twenty years. You know, it, it used to be text is a, a very, very personal thing, right? It's something where I'm only going to text my friends, and you know, I think over the last fifteen years, people have attempted to use it as a marketing channel. Um, that being said, most of the marketing that was done via an SMS was very, very batch and blast and spam. Um, and it wasn't until the past few years where we were able to get a lot more segmented, a lot more personalized, and a lot more targeted with a lot of these SMS messages. Um, technology has just finally caught up to it. You know, I also think a big part of the shift is the fact that the, I mean, honestly, this society has changed over the last 10 years, right? When you think of back 2010, yeah, don't get me wrong, we were all playing on Facebook and we were all using our email inboxes, right? Um, Messenger really helped change the game. WhatsApp really helped change the game. Um, because these are apps that we're meant to message on our phone. And we started getting communication and marketing through those channels. Um, and I think the the people that are now communicating through SMS are getting much better at what they're sending over SMS compared to just batch and blast spam. Um, the technology is finally caught up to SMS so that way we can send authentic messages that are rightly timed, they're personalized. Um, I just don't think that the technology was there five or 10 years ago. So, you know, I think... Um, maybe we trust text messages more because we're getting much more familiar with messaging on our phone anyways. Um, and the lines are getting blurred between what is messaging with our friends compared to what is a marketing message. Uh, and the messages that we're now getting are much better than what they used to be. Um, you used to get a lot more spam 10 years ago uh, through phones than you do now. Um, now you still get spam, but you also get those authentic messages from brands where they're trying to help you do something. So I think perception has changed for sure. But I don't know if people trust text messages more than email or trust text messages more than Facebook ads, right? So I don't think it's like it's the most honest channel out there. Uh, but I definitely think people's perception of that channel have changed over the last five years. Right. So well, I, I, I like how you put that spin on it. It's definitely in growing growing. Um, and for those of you who are listening, uh, Dane's book, we put that in the comment section, which is why I'm moving around and shifting all over the place. I have like hundreds of different tabs on my thing. And I finally found it uh, where you can actually opt in and uh, either go to that uh, SMS and, and text that what Dan said earlier at the 22 minute mark, we'll go ahead and say that. And or you can actually go to that link on their website and check that out as well. So either way, hopefully that was okay. Uh, Dan, I was, I was trying to scramble along and uh, get that in the comment section. It'll also be in the show notes, but SMS to me is fascinating. I I personally would agree with you. I don't trust as much, but I'm starting to see it more almost like a rewards point system, almost like a uh, 
it'll be a notification. It's a notification. It's a notifier. Like I feel, I feel like people will talk one way to me and I'm okay with that. But when they start to ask about engagement, that's when I'm really, really start to be tentative about that. It as, SMS isn't supposed to be really sort of like an engagement back and forth. It's like, Hey, be notified of sale XYZ or Hey, check out promo code. Um, Dan's book and you'll get a free copy or something along those lines. You can take that promo code. Someone utilizes that in the cart. You know, for a fact that you're only pushing that through one channel SMS, you know, for a fact that the conversion rate, if you're sending out to hundred thousand people in 10,000 convert, you know, it's a 10% close rate. So there's lots of different, excuse me, lots of different factors that you can see, Hey, SMS is converting at a higher level than maybe email or uh, on-site promo code or pop-up or anything like along those lines. Is there a scalable nature that you have seen success one over the other in terms of like marketing or in that regard? Yeah. You, I mean, um, I've seen a lot of success in regards to SMS, email and pop-ups. So like I wouldn't compare any of them um, directly, right? Obviously they're part of a, a larger strategy. We definitely have seen success when we are not just sending. So like you had talked about like sending somebody a promo code and then measuring that when somebody uses it, you know, we definitely have seen that, that process work and where we, um, we see SMS when it is most successful is when it is treated like a two way communication channel, um, compared to just a batch and blast, you know, when you send 150,000 text messages and you send all these people a promo code, or even you send 150 people just a promo code, you know, many times is that seen kind of just as inauthentic and you're just trying to get in my inbox. Uh, and you get a lot of unsubscribes from that. So what we try to focus on whenever we're doing SMS is, you know, you wanted to have it triggered or be delivering value to somebody And a promo code. While it is valuable, it is not valuable to them. It's valuable to you because you're getting them to purchase something. Um, so you really want to make sure that when you do SMS, you try to find unique trigger points to be able to send them things or be helpful. Um, don't get me wrong. You can still send promo codes and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, with a text message, you can still send a URL, right? So what's the point of sending a promo code when you can say just, hey, why don't you go to the site and buy it? And they click on a link. They go to the website. You can have the promo code already applied. You then mm -hmm. have all the tracking built into it. Um, but we do see the most success when using text messages um, in, the, in the manner at which most people use text messages, right? Like, I mean, I, I don't see, does your wife send you promo codes? Do your children email you and say, hey, listen, lunch is at three, here's a 10% coupon? No, I mean, that's not how that happens, right? <laughs> so um, that- If I get that message, I swear, Dan, I, I'm gonna flip out. Like, I'm, first off, my son, if he's, uh, he's five, and, or excuse me, six, and if he sends me a text message, I'm gonna be worried. Like, why do you have a phone? And I, I don't yeah. know what's going on, but you're right. Sorry to interrupt, but that, no, no, that's totally a good point. Get that. Um, you know, um, maybe if you ask the questions along the lines of something where people can respond and give you feedback, um, you get a much, much better thing. So um, you're always looking for a way to engage them in the same means at which they use that channel. Um, email has really crossed the line of where we're so used to getting spam, right? You got to remember when email was created, we created spam the next day, right? It wasn't like uh, anything different. So with text messages, you know, spam was not the first way that we use that channel. We communicated with people. So you still have to remember that's the goal of SMS is to communicate uh, and use that medium the same way that people would use it. And you're going to see much better success. So going to the text bot that I just shared, right? So you're going to text that number or word. It's going to text you back and then it's going to ask you a question and then you're going to text it and then it's going to text you. You're going to text it and it's going to text you, right? That's how we use SMS. Um, so when you just say, Hey, here's 10% off your lunch, 
Um, and there wasn't a trigger that started that and you're just kind of spraying that out there, your engagement is going to be much less um, and that human element is just going to be lost and you're going to get a lot of unsubscribes. Right. So, and also you want that engagement because you know they're an involved customer or potentially a en highly engaged customer. It might be, uh, it might be something that, you know, for a fact, like that, that's going to be a customer you can rely on for like product launches or any sort of like feedback and, and whatnot down the road. Fascinating stuff. So what about, um, <laughs> we actually had, uh, someone listening right now. We have Lisa who's actually saying chatting with the bot right now. So she thanks Lisa for, uh, tuning in, watching and listening to this in real time and, uh, chatting with it. Dan's already excited. He's like, yes, it's working. So Lisa, let us know how it goes. And, uh, so, so with that, is there, is there a way that with SMS, is it, I, I found, I found marketing messages and trying to capture information, right? It's data points that any sort of business ultimately wins and it's valuable information, whether it be to send out marketing automation to potentially target like, like audiences on social media or whatnot. The one that I found the most engaging is it's, it's information, but you feel like protective of it, right? You don't want to give someone your email address right away because you instantly think, oh, they're going to try to spam me or try to send out emails every single day or every twice a day. But the one I found most engaging is, hey, put in your zip code for to see if you qualify for or phone number for if you qualify for free shipping. It was something along the lines where the message itself was more engaging and palatable than, hey, give us your contact information if you want to learn about us. Like it was almost like a passive thing. But this one was like, hey, if you want to see if you qualify, kind of like we'll we'll check for you and like look in our computer system. It's almost like I'll go to the back of the store, see if we have your shoe uh, in your size, and they'll come out and let you know if you don't or not. They always do. They just don't have it on the floor. But with that being said, is there is there ways to make things more palatable to gather information uh, to make your automation work for you? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, like your marketing, I mean, the marketing tool. Like, does that make? more sense. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two kind of paths here, right? So one progressive profiling is really, really important. So, um, not asking for somebody for all of their information up front and grabbing it over time is really, really important. Um, I think the strategy that you talked about with like getting the zip code first is really, really important. Um, that is a great way to progressively profile somebody and to be able to kind of build that on. But what you're talking about there as well is what we would call as a micro commitment, um, or a micro conversion. And at the end of the day, one of the things that's most successful whenever you're trying to get somebody to give you their email is give them four micro commitments first. Um, we work with an extremely um, large mesothelioma law practice, right? The, the, if, you've, if you've watched TV and you've seen a mesothelioma lawyer commercial, chances are it's one of my clients. Um, <laughs> when we're getting people from the TV commercials and they're going to the website to fill out the lead generation form, the first thing that we ask them is not their email, right? We ask them a series of questions beforehand to give small micro commitments. One, we're collecting information, which enables us to be able to better power our analytics, better power automation. Um, but we're getting them to do four micro commitments before we ask them for their email address. And the reason for that is one, we're progressively profiling them. So we're adding that to our analytics. We're adding that to our tools. We can now add them to certain um, audiences and advertising. But by the time they get to the end, they're like, well, I've already given them all this information. I might as well give them my email. So by leveraging both of those tactics, um, progressive profiling and as well as uh, the micro commitments, right, you're going to get them to ultimately have a, a harder time saying no at the end. Uh, and this is a cognitive bias that people have. Um, there's the, co the cognitive bias of sunk cost. 
So I've already invested this much. I can't just leave it now. Um, that if you use that cognitive bias, you'll be able to increase your conversions. Uh, it's a very common tactic and strategy that we see done is give them four things, give them a little bit of value, then hide the last little 10% of value by them giving an email address and you'll see your conversions go through the roof. Right. I, I think one, how you described that to me was I was targeted for a message. I think it was for Scott's lawn care, for example, they're like, Hey, see what, what plan that would fit your garden or for your uh, lawn care. And you go through a series of things you think about, Oh, they're going to look at like my, where I'm located in the United States to determine what kind of grass I grow. Um, all this other stuff, like what's my address. So they, you get them their address, you get micro targeted for that. They're like, what's your, um, what's your preferences? And you go through like, do you like to take care of your lawn? What do you like? And all these different things so that they can start feeding you coupons for the specific kinds of brands of fertilizer. And at the very end, they're like, Hey, we've curated your personalized profile, super fancy words. Right. And we've curated just for you to get access to it, put in your email address. And I was like, I spent 10 minutes putting in this information, this stupid thing. Of course I want this email. Boom. I love, I love that concept because it's like at the very end, it's like, instead of starting with the thing that we feel most guarded with email addresses, most often than not, you you, you get that at the very end. Like you said, it's a micro commitment. And that at the very end, you're like, well, I might as well. Is there, why don't, why don't more companies conceptualize it like this? Is it, is it because they just don't have someone like you in their corner to say like, Hey, let's make this easier or marketing for us and automated for us. Why, why don't more companies do it that way? Well, you know, I, it, it's not obvious. I mean, I think that's the first thing. Uh, it's not an obvious method to go. Most people just put a form on the website and go with it, right? They copy their competitors or do something else. So, and it's not like I invented this, right? I learned this through research online, through conversion rate optimization experimentation, and even sure. looking at other studies and stuff like that. So, you know, I think most companies just don't have the experimentation kind of mindset. They don't have the growth mindset and they're not running a lot of experiments. One, it's not easy to do in many cases, uh, but it's also kind of uh, nebulous to many companies. They don't know what they're getting into or how to get it done. Um, so I think a lot of companies kind of just fall short there. Um, they just don't have the, the experience or bandwidth to get that, that going. Um, and you know, there's plenty of articles out there. If you do your own research, excuse me, I gave up coffee. So I'm yawning even more than, oh, ever. No. uh, so, but, uh, there's definitely plenty of articles out there on the internet that talk about this stuff. If you were to visit instapage.com and go to their blog, all of this stuff is covered, right? So really, really important stuff to see there. Right. You sound like a guy who's constantly learning and growing too. What were you getting? Were you constantly learning and growing and tapping into the information out there? Like there's so many forms that can blast you with information. Are you, are you reading a lot? Are you just reading a lot of blogs? Like what podcasts, what's the kind of, uh, how do you figure out? Oh, I didn't know that. I want to like learn more every day. Cause that, that's where I'm at in my professional career. I want to continue to learn about something every single day that I don't know about and kind of tap into that. Is that where you're at in your career? Yeah. I mean, I'm always learning. I mean, as a CEO, your job is to constantly be evolving and improving. So I think, you know, over the years, the way that I've, I've learned these things has definitely changed. You know, when I was more on the marketing side and I was more doing conversion rate optimization myself and uh, working with this, you know, a lot of it came from other blogs, other internet articles, things like that. You know, I remember when I, uh, I think it was what, like 12 years ago when I really dug in on 
uh, social media marketing. I had run a Facebook development, uh, Facebook application development company for a while there. You know, I spent like three months just researching on online, reading blogs, and then of course going and doing it, right? And trying to build stuff. I mean, the best way that I've learned to learn things is really by doing it. But I definitely think the ways that I've, I've, got my inspiration for what I'm going to go do is change. Originally, it was blog posts, things like that. Um, you know, over the past few years, I think a lot of that has changed to reading books. Um, I mean, last year, I read 42 books. This year, I've already read 15. Uh, I'm a little bit slower this year on my reading just because of life in general. Um, so I would say most of my education now, most of the stuff that I'm growing with is coming out of books, less on articles. I do watch videos from time to time. I definitely am not a big podcast listener. Um, I listen to The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. That would be the main podcast that I stay on top of because um, I'm mainly listening to books, right, compared to um, listening to podcasts. So um, my team keeps me pretty fresh on stuff uh, now. But, you know, as a consultant, um, the reason why I get to learn so much is because I get paid to do research for companies. Um, so in that case, I mean, my job is to do demos, research how taxonomy and documentation works for these products. Um, but most of my, my learning now comes from solving problems for my clients um, compared to reading blog posts about that stuff. I, I no longer am an independent contributor, um, so I don't read articles like I used to about how to do CRO. Luckily, I get to see the, the proof in my client meetings when my team shows me a successful test uh, and there's a winner. So. Amazing stuff. Well, I want to give you a quick shout. Uh, quick shout was mentioned. Uh, Chris Kennard, who's actually with Ping Pong now, he <laughs> said it's been a long time since our Kissmetric days. So I don't know the background. This was news to me. I don't uh, do I this to Chris. like, yeah. <laughs> so Chris, Chris has been with our team for gosh over a year plus now, and uh, really, he's out there. He's out there in California. Uh, haven't met him. Congratulations in person, but... on your wedding, Chris. Uh, you're doing great <laughs> things. I keep seeing you on Facebook. So Chris and I worked at Kissmetrics together, and you know, out of I don't even know, 30 people on the sales team. Chris was, uh, I think him and Chad um, Supers were two of my favorite people to ever work with. So super happy to hear that you guys got him. Uh, he's a <laughs> badass. He's a lot of fun. So, well, get, so All right, Chris, take this. Put, give it to uh, our boss, Kenny, and make sure we have this <laughs> on, on record. It's, it's officially out there. But no, that's fantastic. Chris is... Chris is one to work with, and uh, I know all of our clients are really happy with him too. So that was really funny. I, did, I wasn't expecting that today, Dan. So uh, made, made me smile this morning. But he's he's up early, man, for uh, for being on West Coast still. So he doesn't Coast, mess around. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to say. Uh, so yeah, before uh, so on the back half of that, that was that was amazing to talk about. So Dan, I, you're you're you said you're constantly working with different clients and kind of on yeah. this back stretch, if you will, of of this podcast in this episode, I'm curious to you, what's kind of the, the thing that you get excited about the most in this world of MarTech technology, uh, just business development as innovation continues to find new ways to stand out, uh, in this e-commerce world, what, what yeah. excites you and what are, what do you think this, this trajectory continues at? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing that gets me excited is architecture. You know, I think that's the thing that nobody talks about when you're thinking about marketing technology, sales technology, any of this stuff. But when you, when you're stringing together 15 different tools that are integrated with all these different platforms and it, it has to pipe back to revenue operations, that architecture of how that all gets set up and integrated is probably the most exciting part for me. I could care less whether we use Marketo or Pardot or Salesforce Marketing Cloud or Klaviyo. You know, at the end of the day, that comes down to what's going to be best for the company. Um, and that's going to be choose. But where I get really excited is how are we going to set up Klaviyo with Zapier, with Segment, with Kissmetrics and all these tools? How do we design the architecture for the data? 
Um, that's really what gets me kind of jumped, uh, jumped up. So, but you know, uh, it's funny cause working with Chris, uh, at Kissmetrics, I mean, the, the whole reason why I was brought into that position at Kissmetrics is because I really understood the stack. Uh, I understood how the analytics worked and things like that. And, you know, data still gets me extremely excited. I don't think analytics gets me as excited as it used to because I've just been in it for so long. Uh, but that's where trying to take into consideration the larger architecture of what we're creating gets me most excited. Very cool. What, what is it that you hear from clients or wish that you would hear from them ask you a question? Like you, you say... Like if, the, if you're meeting with them for the first time, what, what do you wish that clients would ask you or potential clients would ask you first instead of uh, going through all this, uh, you know, back and forth and you're like, all right, just tell me what you want or anything like that. Uh, you know, the biggest thing is when can we get started? I mean, at the end of the day, that's the question I want. When can they get started <laughs> or when can I pay you? Um, you know, that's I think, too. Um, you know, working working with a, a, a consulting company like ours, so Magad.io is is an elite uh, agency. We are not your bread and butter shop, right? So we are not going to be able to compete with other companies. I really get um, annoyed in the sales process when people are trying to like constantly change scope so they can save five hundred dollars or even five thousand um, dollars. If you're a company where you constantly were reviewing scope over and over and over again, um, it gets a little frustrating for us because at the end of the day this nickel and diming of the scope is the way that we take it. It's really not going to change your price. It's really not going to change the process. Um, at the end of the day, uh, if we can just get started 95% of the time, um, we're going to wind up in a really, really good spot. Um, it's the customers that at the 5% that nickel and dime that scope of work. Um, they don't know what they want. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's up. They don't know what's down. Once we get into the project, they still don't know anything. And then we're telling them, well, we know you should do X but they still nickel and dime our, our feedback and our opinion. So if uh, the questions that I always want to hear is like, hey, where can we get started? Um, how can we move this faster? How can we move this along? Um, the clients who are asking us, well, what about if we did it this way? And then what about if we did it that way? And those are the conversations for like fucking weeks in the sales process. Um, I don't want to work with you. You're going to be a problem client uh, anyway. So um, consulting is not like SaaS. Uh, it's not a product. Uh, it's a lot of gray. It's a lot of hammering things out. Um, and if we can't hammer out a scope of work in the first place, then we're never going to make progress uh, inside the project because you're not going to be able to hammer out the, the hard questions or the hard, hard problems you're going to have to solve with us. So uh, when can when can I pay you would be the question I would want to hear uh, <laughs> in my meetings. So well, I'm not gonna as, lie. A C, as a CEO for a business, I'm assuming knowing where your uh, income is coming from it would, would be a, a, ni a nice thing to know. Um, but the, uh, I guess my final question for you, Dan, would be, is there a, what, what industry or client out there that you know for a fact that you could figure out this problem that you see pretty plainly and obviously, and you want to work with, they just haven't picked up the phone and say, Dan, how can I pay you? Uh, yeah, you know, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think about the world like that. I'm, uh, right now, I mean, we're not in hunt mode. So trying to work with clients, we're, we're extremely overwhelmed with our demand. I mean, we're basically sold out until the end of the year. Um, wow. and, uh, you know, we're very lucky. Most of our clients are, uh, doubling, if not tripling their engagements with us over the course of the lifetime. So, you know, I don't have any clients that like, I really, really want to work with. Um, then when they come up from time to time, I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, the, my favorite brand to work with, we, we work with King's Hawaiian Bread. I don't know if you know who King's Hawaiian Bread is, but they're the Very delicious. Bowls. They're mm -hmm. amazing. Who would have thought uh, we would help them build their stack and build out their e-commerce efforts, right? Like, so, you know, after I worked with some cool companies like that, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied. Once again, I'm pretty easy to make happy. 
um, at the end of the day. So there's no one client that I'm trying to go after. You know, if there's any one thing that frustrates me in the market that I wish I could be more involved with solving, um, it would be Apple and their hypocrisy with uh, this privacy bullshit. Um, I would love to uh, help the consumer understand that Apple is ultimately just trying to make you feel like everybody else is stealing your data when Apple has more data about you than any other company in the world. Um, this this phone tracks every single thing you do, uh, and Apple saves all of it. Um, the only difference about Apple is they don't sell it to other companies. They sell it to their other divisions. So mm-hmm. uh, while the phone is tracking it, iTunes knows what's going on. iPhoto knows what's going on. iCloud knows what's going on. It's shared with their divisions. So while they're not like um, Experian, who has your credit card and sells your information, um, you know, this this pissing match that they're doing with Google and with Facebook, at the end of the day, the only person that all of this is going to hurt is the small business. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the big businesses who can afford me, they're not going to have a problem. They're just going to switch to first-party cookies, server-side tracking. Like, they're going to fix it. But it's the small businesses that are really going to suffer. So if there's somebody I could help... Um, I would love to figure out a way to better help small businesses. So these changes with Apple iOS 14, as well as the changes coming with the the cookie-less world, which is bullshit, um, I would love to figure out a way to help them. Uh, but I'm not going to be able to do that on a one-on-one one-on-one basis. Right. Now, I mean, I, I I guess we have a few minutes in that regards. I know a lot of people are trying to understand. It's affecting not just uh, small businesses. It's affecting how people in marketing operate because eliminating cookies. Is that on just Apple products? Is that what the the whole nuance is? Is no longer able to drop a cookie, which a cookie for for listener out there in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, if you're listening to this, and you might have found the wrong podcast, but a cookie would actually be a tracking uh, capability uh, to actually know what they're doing, like uh, almost like breadcrumbs, like know what they're doing on your website, yeah. right? They've gone to the product page, they've gone to a service page about us, facts, whatever it might be. Um, you know that information. That's why you have to say, I accept all cookies at the bottom of every single website you go to now. Um, it, it feels like you can either prevent it by clearing your cache and your your history and whatnot, but at the end of the day, most people don't know how to do that. That's why we have information available. You're just talking about Apple just guards it all and keeps it to themselves, therefore can sell you products um, to however they want based upon their automation sequences and whatnot. But... Apple has its own thing. Google has gone a different direction and said, we're going to track less. Is that a little bit better in your mind or is it is it the same thing, just like masked differently? Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I think um, it's very, very, very similar in the fact that what they're both trying to do is protect their data uh, at the end of the day. While Google is telling you that they're getting rid of cookies and things like that, one, they just pushed the date back to like 2023. Um, third party cookies is where all of this is like a problem and things like that. First party cookies are staying. It's the third party cookies that they're really trying to get away from. Um, at the end of the day, Google has all the tracking it needs. It's on all of your phones. It's on all of your devices. So again, they're building a garden wall to protect themselves. It's their moat, just like Apple is doing. You know, what Apple has done is, um, it's not just the cookie. What Apple has done is intelligent tracking is what Apple is really against right now. Um, and it's the cross device tracking. So somebody clicks on an ad. Uh, and goes to your website, on the end of that, there's an FB, uh, CLID, and FCLID um, equals, that is your user number, right? And mm-hmm. it's also mapped back to um, the ad that you clicked on. Apple's really trying to stop that intelligent tracking so that way we can't track users across different websites. We can't cross device track them. Um, you know, all of this, um, 
is going to happen. I mean, it's it's just what Apple's trying to do. But at the end of the day, um, there's plenty of workarounds around it, right? There's plenty of ways to get around this process. Um, but it's the small business marketers that aren't going to be able to solve this problem who really pay. Um, and it's just Apple trying to piss off Apple, or excuse me, Facebook and Google. Uh, ultimately, they're trying to protect their own data too. So it's all it's just a pissing match between these these giant companies, unfortunately, right now. Um, and they're trying to masquerade it like it's helping the consumer all the time when it's really not um, at the end of the day. Most of the reasons why companies do this is to provide you a better experience. Um, the people who sell your data uh, are not Facebook and not Google. They're not selling your data. They're, they're leasing um, the data ultimately. So like, it's not like they're handing somebody that data. We just are now able to show you ads. Um, if you really right. want to go after the people that are selling your data, go after companies like um, Experian right? Experian literally sells your transaction data from your credit card. Um, so if we want to talk about bad people, I mean, we should be pointing our fingers at the banks, uh, but nobody's going to do that in the tech world because they, of course, are dependent upon the bun- the money from the banks. So um, either way, I'm now venting and I don't know if I'm keeping track with <laughs> I your, like, your I, listeners. I think I, I opened up a wound, everyone. I think, I, yeah. I think Dan, well, and th- this is what I say ultimately, like, no matter what what position you might be in as a person, like I, I try to play like Switzerland here as a podcast host, like I have my own opinions, but let's say everyone can point at everyone and say like, you're a bad actor, you're a bad actor. Everyone's doing, hopefully not the wrong thing. They may be pushing the envelope too much. At the end of the day, you're talking about data and I want to go back to the core principle of data in itself. Everyone can capture it in a multitude of different ways. A lot of people today are very protective or they think are protective of it, but you have an avatar, no matter where you might go on your phone, your computer, your your televisions even now, however you access all this information, it just got smarter over time. Um, of course, there's certain data you don't want to continue to share, but there's there's nuances. People act like that you can't get access to it. It's not true. Like just the, the technologies at work or at home that you're using, there's going to be, it's, it can build and it can look a lot like you at the end of the day because of your search history because of your profile your age your information even your email address it follows you around and that all is like another social security number or anything like tax id it all ties back to you profile xyz so i I think that's what you're trying to get at is is it it's it just doesn't make sense for everyone has the same information as a third-party business owner to not get access to that it's kind of like you said bullshit um, to steal a phrase from your uh, book, um, uh, to, uh, that uh, it, it doesn't make sense. Like I said, it's just to protect themselves, and ultimately, if people don't get access to it, they can't make money off of it. It doesn't make sense. That's why I think you're getting at. Um, yeah, I mean, um, we're 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 only trying to improve your experience, so we're not trying right. to steal your children. So exactly right, and technology can be used for good. Everyone, let's 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 think about this. That's why it was created to be used for good. Not for uh, to be to make people richer, more money. That's a byproduct, but it's to make the experience more good instead of waiting through all this garbage and trash that could be out there potentially. Anyways, Dan, I know we uh, kind of crossed that border. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna reel us back in real quick. Um, what besides besides the book uh, that you're out there, which I'm gonna definitely download, or I'm gonna go through the processes on your website. Um, people can check out that. What if people are like, I really want to invest or talk to you or get in touch with you? What's the best way to do that or your team just to kind of pick your brain or potentially work with you? 
Yeah, best place to find me is on LinkedIn. So Dan McGaum on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll be able to find me. My pretty face is there. Uh, it's the easiest channel to get a hold of me. Uh, so I definitely recommend uh, LinkedIn. And you can also go to magal.io. Uh, on our site, we have a ton of free resources about this. Just scroll down to the bottom of the website to the downloads and resources section. Uh, and we'll be able to, I mean, the site will be able to give you a bunch of free information that'll help you get started with your stack. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I know, like you said, that you have so much going on. You as a consultant, uh, just to spend the time with us to kind of educate on a very high level, uh, we, we could have probably gone down. I, I feel like a big dummy, the, the, all the questions I'm asking today, but you were, uh, thank you for sharing your insights and time. Uh, with our audience to educate and help them grow in that capacity. It was a lot of fun talking with you. So thank you again for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. And thank you everyone again for hopping on Crossover Commerce. This was episode 142. Uh, Dan was amazing and fantastic. If you have questions, make sure you go ahead and go to those links in the comment section or show notes below. And then also you can uh, go back to, I want to say it's around uh, 22 mark, a minute mark, around when we give out that phone number to text and go through that cadence to get a free book, or you can just go to macaw.io and you can go ahead and go through that cadence on those web pages as well. That being said, this is day two of my week long uh, live podcast series. We have so much content we're covering tomorrow. It's actually gonna be uh, quality control and product compliance, two important pillars of successful e-commerce business. We're gonna be talking about that with Raul uh, tomorrow. So make sure that you subscribe to all of our channels on social media in order to be notified when our new episode is going live. And then you can listen to the audio formats as well. Those links are going to be in the show notes and uh, in the comment section below. Go ahead and check those out. But I'm Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce. We'll catch you guys next time on our uh, episode 143. Take care, everyone.